Welcome back to From the Bench. Matt Laguza here. And before we introduce Jack and the rest of the show, we're going to talk quickly about the U.S. Men's National Team versus Mexico CONCACAF Champions League final this past Sunday. Huge game for the U.S. as they won an extra time 3-2 after a Christian Pulisic penalty kick in the 107th minute, as well as an Ethan Horvath huge penalty save uh, in the last closing minutes of the game. The U.S. is now 20-15-36 and 36 versus Mexico, which is, you know, not great so far. Um, but it's definitely an improvement. They showed a lot of heart and strength going through and huge games from their stars, Weston McKinney, Pulisic, as I mentioned, and young Gio Reyna from our own neck of the woods here in Bedford, New York. Uh, he played great scoring the opening goal for the U.S. Obviously, there were still some difficulties, we'll call it. Uh, of course, Mark McKenzie's opening minute debacle on the back line when he gave up the opening goal. But there was a lot of bright spots. Kellen Acosta and Tyler Adams both played well at the central defensive midfield and left back position. Tim Weah played great at left wing back, brought some energy and pace to the left side of the field. And of course, Ethan Horvath coming in for Zach Steffen late in the second half after injury, making some big saves. And of course, the huge one in the closing minutes. But we've been talking about this for a long time now. This is the beginning of the golden age for the U.S. men's national team. The World Cup coming up next year. Don't expect much, but hopefully by 2026, everybody will be entering their primes. The roster will be set for a good long period, and we'll find out if Greg Berhalter is the answer at coach. It's going to be a fun summer, a fun year for World Cup qualifying, and exciting to watch this golden generation. So now let's bring in Jack Quinn. We're going to be talking about the Floyd versus Logan Paul fight, the Saban extension, the MLB crackdowns on illegal substances, the NBA playoffs, and of course, the Julio Jones trade. So Jack, how you doing? I'm doing really, really well, Matt. I mean, it's our first time ever in person recording. Yep. Uh, it's really exciting. Uh, sitting right next to you too. No restrictions anymore. You know, let's get to it. It's great. So we're going to start with Floyd Mayweather versus Logan Paul. We haven't really talked boxing before or anything like that, but you know, this was a pretty big deal. And Jack, you watched the fight. Uh, so just before we get into it, what, what did you see from it? This was purely an entertainment and money move. Uh, as they both were summarizing after the fight, both Floyd uh, and Paul. But, you know, it was entertaining to watch. And I think they, they did, did that and they probably made a lot of money. But I think just the quality of the fight was poor. Um, but Floyd, obviously, one of the best boxers of all time. Um, tired him out by like round three, I think. Of the, of the eight. Uh, but I have to say, Logan Paul, like like Floyd said, I think he, he is actually quite the athlete. Uh, you know, he's, he stayed in there with one of the best fighters of all time for eight rounds, uh, which honestly is impressive. You know, I've got to say, I'm, I have a lot of respect for Logan Paul, uh, especially as a fighter, as a fighter, especially <laughs> uh, based on the fighters that his brother, Jake, have been fighting. To, to go and fight someone like Floyd Mayweather, other than, you know, where Jake is fighting retired UFC uh, fighters, it, it's definitely something to respect about him. And he's definitely, he's still not great outside of boxing, but he has nah. matured a <laughs> lot more than his brother. It's kind of crazy to say that he's mature over someone else. Um, but, you know, <laughs> there's one thing that we do want to talk about here with this fight. There's been a video going around with, 
it was in the middle of the fight where apparently Floyd Mayweather knocked out Logan Paul and he just kept him up in a hug because it's supposed to go eight rounds. Do you, like, do you, uh, you've seen the video, right? Yeah, yeah I, I, I saw that. I, you know, it's obviously not what you want to see. I honestly wanted to see Floyd knock Logan Paul out, but I thought a lot of that fight, majority of it was Logan Paul was exhausted, hugging him. Uh, Floyd was keeping him up. And that one punch, yeah, that, that, that video that's been going around is pretty ridiculous. Uh, Floyd hits him with the jab, and obviously Logan Paul uh, feels the consequences. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I like that for the sport of boxing. I thought this, this fight wasn't great for the sport mm-hmm. of boxing, but for sure brought in a lot of money, which was, I think, the main point of this, this fight. Yeah, no, there's no question about it. It was entertaining, but there wasn't much skill uh, on the side, skill skill comparison between the two. Because if you just look at the stats here, on jabs, Logan Paul hit on 10% compared to Floyd Mayweather, Mayweather, uh, Mayweather's 50%. Yeah. On the power hits, 15% to 39%. And on total, Logan Paul had a astounding 13% uh, connections. It's... I've got to say, nothing much. I'll tell you, Chad Ochocinco, though, in one of the uh, earlier fights of the night in the prelims, he put on quite a show. He was not bad. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's like very athletic guy. I, I liked his response afterward, after getting knocked on on his butt. You know, he, he got up and, you know, he, he like really respected it. And he, he said he wanted to do it again. He wanted to shot at McGregor. Yeah, I'm excited to see that if that comes to say. But, hey. I give him a better chance than Logan Paul. Or Jake Paul. Or Jake Paul, for that matter. All right, so let's move on to some football, college football at this point. Nick Saban getting a three-year extension. He already has, he has five years left in his current contract, but three years on top of that that will take him through the 2028 season. Right now, he has $8.425 million for this upcoming season, and he will be making an average annual salary of more than $10 million for the remainder of it. Huge contract and huge for Alabama for the future. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you need to keep a guy like that around, especially, you know, at the amount of success he's had with the franchise. Or not the franchise, the college. Um, it's pretty much a franchise. Yeah, it basically is, given their success. Uh, and it's good for college football to keep a figure like that around, basically like a Coach K type of guy, you know, have that type of coach as just in terms of the brand college football, you know, he's good to have. Yeah. There's no question about it. He's in his 15th season at Bama. He's won three of the past six national titles in NCAA football. He has seven in total, including one at LSU back in 2003. But one thing that's going to be very interesting is right now, there's a lot of talk going on uh, through NCAA football about expanding the playoff field to 12 teams. And if this is going to happen, it's not going to affect Bama too much but this could possibly affect the recruiting process where players could possibly elect to go to other schools than Bama, get more playing time because they know they're going to have a better chance of getting into the college football playoff. So this will definitely be interesting to see uh, if Bama is as dominant as it has been through his uh, career so far. He's turning 70 in October and he has a career 170 and 23 record Jesus. at Bama. So uh Needless to say, he is uh, well-deserving of the money that he's getting. Oh, for sure. Just to touch on expanding the, the playoff, I, I think that's really interesting. 
terms of what you said about the talent pool. And I think also just from a fan's perspective, we'll really make things make college football more fun to watch than it actually, than it already is uh, considering it'll be, you know, more even teams. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it gets boring to see Bama win all the time. Yeah. There's no question about it. It should make it more competitive. It'll be interesting to see how they format it. Uh, you know, if they do uh, what kind of restrictions they put on, on teams who can make it. Uh, so that's going to be something to look forward to. Let's go over to the diamond and we're going to talk about the MLB and how they are cracking down on the use of illegal substances by their pitchers. So far over this season, they have been looking into this matter a lot. Uh, They've collected thousands of baseballs and hundreds of them of those collected baseballs have foreign substance residue on them. So there is proof of this. And right now they are, Start. They should start before the All-Star break, apparently, that they will start doing 10-day suspensions for any pitcher, pitcher found using illegal substances. This is going to be huge for the game of baseball. Yeah, I mean, this has to be done uh, for sure, uh, just for the game in terms of just the integrity of it. But I think, you know, this is similar to, you know, PED use, steroid use. It's cheating straight up. And, you know... I'm glad the league is cracking down on it, but this has been going on for a long time. Um, and, and I think a lot of the pitchers, you know, obviously have been doing it. You know, you, you said the statistics, hundreds of collected baseballs have had these foreign substances on them. You know, I am sure the league's known about it, just like the league knew about steroid use and let it go. You know, it's, you know, it's time for them to crack down on it for sure. You know, and tons of the league's top pitchers have been accused of this. Uh, Garrett Cole, uh, Corbin Burns, who's having a crazy season right now for uh, the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, There's a ton of them, including Jacob DeGrom. He was even uh, accused of it by some people. And the Mets players came to battle for him on Twitter, exclaiming that there was no way that he was using it. And just imagine how good he would be if he was. Very true. Didn't the league... This is just a separate point, and if you don't know about it, it's fine. But didn't the league change the baseballs around? Yeah, there was a little bit of changing. They juiced them up uh, two, three years ago, something around there. Could be longer. I don't really know the exact time range. And then, you know, pitchers got mad. Now spin rates are through the roof now. And now hitters are getting mad. It's Right now, the batting average among the league is a record low. Uh, they're hitting 236, and the strikeout percentage is a record high at 24.2%. Pitchers are fighting back right now, trying yeah. to get back on level terms. Um, but, you know, it it's it, tough. It's Yeah, it's, it's funny because I feel like a lot of people complained a couple of years ago about the amount of home runs that were being hit. Yep. And then now we're at the end of the spectrum where pitchers are becoming more dominant. So then there just needs to be there that little medium where we need to find for baseball for each side to be happy, which I don't think will ever happen. Um, but, you know, that's an interesting uh, thing that's going on with MLB. Yeah, and there's a lot of people speaking out on this, including the Cardinals manager, Mike Schilt. And as he said, it's time to end baseball's dirty little secret. So there's a lot going on around the game of baseball. It's been an interesting season. And we'll see how this comes out because there's still plenty of season to go. All right. And now we're going to move on to the NBA 
playoffs. And to help us discuss predictions for the second round and a little bit of review of the first, Kenny Lamb is joining us. Kenny, how you doing? I'm doing all right. It's been a it's been a good while, but I'm happy to be back. Thank y'all. And you know, it's been a wild NBA playoffs so far. Mavs Clippers seven games. LeBron out in the first round. The Knicks made the playoffs. But first, we're going to talk about the second round. We'll go and back. The Celtics a little bit. lost. Oh, the Celtics lost. The Celtics all right, lost. all right. We we can uh let's focus on uh, round two here. All right. <clears throat> all right. So we're going to start off with Bucks versus Nets, and the Bucks um. They're down 0-2, and uh, it's been a little less competitive than I think people thought. They lost by 39 points uh, last night. Kenny, what are your thoughts on this series so far? Um, honestly, I'm, I have the same perspective on it as I did in the first round when my Celtics lost. You, you can't really hope to defend the Brooklyn Nets. You can only hope to keep up with them on offense. I just don't think the Bucks have that type of firepower to keep up and clearly it's obvious they lost by 39 like I um I'm just ready for a Western Conference team to confront the Nets so I'm, I'm not really looking forward to anything honestly if the the Nets get game three I think it's a sweet hot mid-hot take but how about yeah, you I think it's a wrap I, I think it's it, after that game two loss I don't know how the Bucks can even come back from that um I was just talking about this with Matt Kenny I think mm-hmm. I don't think Giannis as a player as a player we, we appreciate his greatness, but I don't think he is built for the playoffs. I don't think he is the type of guy you can go to in the playoffs to hit a hit a final shot or to take right. over in the final minutes. So our main thing like that we we're saying is, you know, just raw athleticism and ability to get into the pain is really what makes him great, but not mm-hmm. really, you know, skill. You know, he's not right. a good shooter in the half court. He has no handle. And, like, when you compare him to a guy like KD, especially, or even LeBron, you know, playmaking abilities, it's it just different. I think Giannis in the regular season is a different animal. But in the playoffs, when we're defending the half court, it's it's more – it's easier to defend him. Right. No, I completely agree with you all. And, like, as you said, you, you need someone reliable to – Count on during the playoffs and especially in closing minutes. I, I just, yeah, we, but we all know we don't want Giannis on the free throw line and he hasn't shown a, a real true ability to um, get buckets when they need to down the stretch. So I completely agree with you there. And it's something that's kind of disappointing for the Bucs because they really do have a good team and Giannis is a great player, but the fact that you can't really rely on him to in those clutch moments to be able to go up and give your team a win it, it's something you got to think about because you just gave him a max contract. And now you've kind of got to think about this is two straight playoffs where you could possibly be out in the second round. Do you need to go out there and get another player like a Damian Lillard who could be in the trade market? Do you need someone like that to add to your team to be able to come in for the clutch for you? Yeah. Also just free agency in general, I think DeMar DeRozan would be mm-hmm. really interesting for them. I know they do have Drew Holiday, but Marta Rosen's just a great playmaker, reliable guy, uh, under the radar as well. I feel like you know a lot of people are forgetting that. I, I think he said that his time in San Antonio is over uh, at some point uh, during the year. So, you know, in terms of where he goes, he could really be an X factor for for the Bucks. I think they really need that extra boost in scoring 
Uh, also, he's been able to work on his outside shot. He could space the floor. He and Drew Holiday could be pretty deadly, but I don't think they have the money to do that. Yeah, no, they're definitely tied in cap. But let's move over to the Nets, talk about them. Kevin Durant, he has had an amazing series. James Harden obviously went down in game one early uh, with a hamstring injury, didn't play in game two. But it seems like KD and Kyrie and Blake Griffin have really had a great series and just been able to really dominate the Bucks defense. Right. There's a there's a st- statistic that I saw come up during the game. I think it was either during the game or I just saw a statistic where they compared the, the amount of dunks Griff- Blake Griffin had on the Pistons versus how many he's having on the Nets right now. And clearly he wants to uh, wants to help out a team right now. And it's it's really coming through, man. Blake Griffin. Yeah, I, I think he, he's back. I mean, definitely not in that prime form, but definitely in a way that the Nets can use. And obviously, KD, um, I love him or hate him. It's it's truly, uh, it's truly wonderful to see him work with his offense, and it's so frustrating seeing how easy he makes it look. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm ready to just continue seeing the Nets blow out the Bucks. I don't know about y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I also just, I used to dislike Kevin Durant, but you know, you just have to appreciate how good he is. He's, he's through seven games, he's shooting fifty percent from the field, fifty five percent from three. You know, it, it's ridiculous. You know, it's like he, he's unstoppable. And some of the things he does on the basketball court, like no one else can do on the planet. Uh, and just generally Blake Griffin, like in game one, putting up 18 points, 14 rebounds, just being the type of guy, just get the the, the blood pumping. Uh, you know, he's a he's a great player. He's a veteran. I, I knew that this move would work out for them. Uh, he stretches the floor. He, he's just an energy type player. And I think the Nets needed that, especially in Harden's absence. So yeah, this could end up being a very quick series if the Bucs don't pull it together fast, but let's move on to the team that took down LeBron and the Lakers in round one Suns nuggets. Suns got game one behind a strong performance from Chris Paul. The Suns are looking good so far. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like watching the, the Suns play. I, I think they have all the right pieces to make a really deep run, and I would love to see them, especially Chris Paul. I mean, who doesn't want to see that guy win a championship? I mean, we all want to see it. Uh, he's one of the best point guards of all time, and you could see he just has a, a, a direct effect on winning. He, at whatever team he goes to, that team is going to go deep into the playoffs, maybe not the finals but you know that they're going to win games. Uh, and, you know, he, he just has these leadership qualities that a point guard should have. And if you look at the Suns, in my opinion, they've got one of the most complete teams in the NBA. And, you know, they've got obviously their stars in Chris Paul and Devin Booker, but then you look at other guys, uh, DeAndre Ayton, uh, Payne as well. They, they really do have a Jay solid Crowder. team. Jay Crowder as well. Uh, they've got it both on the offensive and defensive sides of the floor, and they can trust their bench to come out there and still keep them in games, uh, even outscore the other team. So uh, it's definitely impressive and should help them in the long run. Yeah, no, for sure. And I also want to give a huge shout out to Mikhail Bridges. Like, if, if Aiden and Mikhail can continue contributing the way they have been, or the way they, they did in game one against the Nuggets, I, I think the Suns, like you guys said, it's it's clear they have the pieces to make it work and make a deep playoff run, um, helping out CP3 and Booker. But I do hope the Nuggets can make it competitive a bit soon because I am a huge fan of Jokic. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it was definitely an impressive performance from the Nuggets in the Trailblazers series. They come out, they lose game one to the Nuggets. But if I'm a Nuggets fan, I'm not too concerned, really, because they, they're a good team. And you expect them, you know, they just came off the high of beating LeBron and the Lakers in round one. You're expecting them to carry that momentum, but now it's going to be key for them to win game two here just to kind of halt the momentum. Cause otherwise it's it, cause if you think about it in this, in round one for the nuggets, it was more about uh, Dame losing than the nuggets winning. So they didn't really carry that much momentum from that series, in my opinion, especially from the media standpoint. So coming off of this big loss to the Suns, they really need a game two victory to kind of catapult them into competitiveness in this series. Yeah, I, I, I think Nuggets really – I have to say Michael Porter Jr. has been exceptional. Yes. I, I, I don't know. As a Knicks fan, it hurts to say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember watching that draft and, you know, seeing him fall. I, I think he went to like 12, I think and we had pick eight or something. Yeah. I don't really remember, but it, it was terrible. And now to see him putting up big numbers, playing a huge role on a playoff team, and especially he's really flourishing with Jamal Murray out. Uh, and that's another thing about the Nuggets. I think they're really resilient in terms of the personnel and depth they have on the team. Uh, you know, Kay, are you expecting the Nuggets to play any different without Jamal Murray out there? Um, yeah, I think a bit, like you just mentioned, Michael Porter has definitely carried that scoring load. If he continues to make the most of the shots he's getting, I think they can uh, definitely keep up with the Suns, but, um, it is tough. You know, Jamal's, Jamal's been, um, part of the Denver franchise for a good while and it, it really does suck to see him on the sideline, but honestly, still the Nuggets have the piece, pieces to compete with the Suns. Don't count out Aaron Gordon, definitely a great pickup at that during the trade deadline this past year. And, um, yeah, I'm just I'm hoping for a great series. I do see the series going to seven. Um, yeah, yeah, it should be a competitive series. Now let's go over to the East, and we've got tough for the Knicks fans here. Uh, Hawks versus Sixers. Hawks up one after another outstanding performance from Trey Young. As much as we hate him, he's such a good player. It's phenomenal. He, he is. Uh. In the playoffs, he's cold. He's just – he can't nice be straight. I, I just – I hate watching him play, though. I really do. <laughs> like, as good as he is, I hate these tic-tac fouls he gets. And, you know, sometimes he just doesn't play basketball the way it should be played. And I, I know, like, like Mary de Blasio said it, uh, Steve Nash said it about Trey Young. Like, it's not basketball, but – Putting that aside, this guy has fire, desire, the will to win. And honestly, the Hawks are a really good team. They've got a lot more weapons than I expect. Like coming into I, that series, you know, we were 3-0 in the regular season against them and Julius Randle was great. And like, and I didn't really expect, I thought it was going to be a competitive series. Six games, possibly seven. I mean, but we should have won game we one. We should have won game one. Yeah, but that was a tough you look one. At, you look at just the amount of people that contributed throughout the series. Bogdanovich, Gallinari, Herder, uh, Herder all Capella. Le- Capella, all levels of their team contributed to their dominance. And there was just Trey Young yeah. leading the way. And it was just in the Knicks, they had the best defense in the NBA this season. 
but they didn't have enough to cover everybody. He's Reggie Miller-esque. Reggie Miller-esque yep. in that series, just in terms of like the way he killed us and, and the mannerisms he had, like, you know, hitting that three with 40 seconds left in, in game five, right? Yep. He takes a yeah. bow and waves to the fans. Like, <sighs> you know, like there's no reason. You're up 13. You, no reason to pull up from the logo, man. But – it's cold. Again, it's cold. That's it. He's not honestly. He's, he's just a jerk. He's the villain. He's just a jerk. But in terms of the Philly series, again, had a great game. Joel Embiid was back full strength. He had a great game, and you know, I don't know. The Hawks have a chance, but I really don't see it, see them going that far, especially if they put Thibel on them. And you know. Right. I'll let you get in here in a second, Kenny, but I, I was watching something earlier where they were talking about who is going to reach a finals first or who's going to win a finals first. And then the 76ers were Celtics. And they said that the Celtics were closer because until Ben Simmons knows how to hit a jump shot, they're not going to win because they revolve their roster around Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And if they just keep sticking with this, they keep getting to this certain point in the playoffs but can never get the final step. And it's kind of the same thing with the Bucks. They need that guy that can hit that clutch shot late in the game, and they don't really have that. They've got two guys that are really good in the paint down low, but they right. don't have that guy that can hit the clutch shot late. And that's something that if they do end up getting knocked out at some point in the playoffs again, it could be something that they need to consider moving on from one of the two that they have right now and bring someone else in. That's very, very uh, reasonable, Matt. And I, I know Ben Simmons and Giannis are, I, I'd say, miles apart in terms of where we rank them in today's NBA. But Simmons has a similar problem as Giannis. Three for ten from the free throw line. I'm telling you, if Simmons just hits four or five more of those and it's an actual game with the Hawks, they complete a comeback. Um, it's just, it's very disappointing to see Ben Simmons not having improved through these years that he's been in the league. And I, I don't know how Joel Embiid uh, really deals with it. You put up 39 and you end up losing. I You look at this box score, honestly, Tobias Harris contributed, Seth Curry each having 20 apiece, and they still lose to a Hawks team led by Trey Young, who's making his first playoff appearance. It's just, it's absurd. I'm a, I'm really not the biggest Ben Simmons fan because of all this, but um, this, uh, hopefully the 76ers can, you know, get it together, show their experience and uh, pull the series towards them. And like, you've got to think about it. This is the same thing, which, what happened in the Knicks series. It's all about stopping Trey Young as much as you can. And Kirk Goldsberry, he tweeted out here, 19 of Trey Young's 25 first half points had come with Danny Green as the primary defender. So it, you've, you've got to think, if you're getting beat, you got to change something. And right now, through the Knicks series and through the game one of this series, people have not been able to figure out how to do this. And the only way, honestly, in my opinion, the way the game one went, the only way that uh, 76ers are going to be able to get out of the series alive is if they figure out a way to at least, like, just keep him in check. You don't have to right. keep him, like, under 15 points because that's not going to happen. But keep him under 30, keep him under 25, somewhere in that range, and make him, force him to go to someone else. And that's going to be the key. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think this should be a challenge for Simmons. He thinks he said it multiple times this regular season that he's the best defender in the league, the defensive mm-hmm. player of the year. Then why don't you go out there and shut him down? I mean, I, you have 
I don't know. That's one thing with Simmons I'd, I'd really dislike is the fact that he's very vocal about himself winning that award. Then, all right, mm-hmm. then prove it. Go out and prove it. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So let's do have a quick on. question. I do have a quick question, though. Yeah. Um, do y'all think we'll ever appreciate Trey Young's ability to draw fouls the same way we appreciate Harden's? Like, I know we've gotten used to Harden being very creative with how he draws fouls, but, you know, these ticky-tack ones, it, it seems kind of similar to me, but I just want to know what y'all, y'all's opinion is on it. Like, will Trey Young, like, this ability to draw fouls, will we end up appreciating it, or are we always going to criticize it? It's going to depend on which way the league goes. Because right now, it's kind of a mix. If you look at all the – for example, Steve Nash, one of the older players, the drawing fouls like this was not – part of his game and then there are fans like us who aren't really we don't like that kind of play if the league decides you know what if the offensive player initiates the contact or causes the contact with the defender then it's not a defensive foul then you don't appreciate it but in the way that the game's going right now and it seems like a lot of the younger players are trying to do this and really if you think about it LeBron's kind of leading the way there He's, as he gets older in his career, he's is trying to draw fouls more often rather than just go uh, for the points. But I think as of right now, I think people are going to have to learn to appreciate it because that's going to be the new way basketball is played. Right, right. Completely agreed. Yeah. Yeah, so let's move on to the Clippers Jazz. And before we talk about this series, let's just talk about the Clippers versus Mavs. First of all, went to seven games. Luca did everything he could. Luca, he averaged 36 points in the series, but he couldn't stop it because Kawhi averaged 32 and PG came back after a horrific playoff performance last year, averaged 23 uh, this year, and the Clippers were just too much to stop in the end. Yeah, Ka- Kawhi was fantastic Kawhi. in Game 7, and it, oh, Lord, yeah. 42 points on 24 shots. And just in the series alone, as you said, Matt, Average 32.8 points per game, 61% from the field, 43% from the three-point point line, and 88% from the free throw line. I mean, the, that, those numbers can't be beat, uh, especially, you know, Kirk Goldsberry, again, just to, to quote him, he, Kawhi has been the most efficient jump shooter in the playoffs. Uh, and, you know, that's going to help your team win when Kawhi's playing his uh, – playing – that type of basketball. Uh, and then, like you said, Paul George playing the best he can possibly playing really, really makes the Clippers hard to beat. Uh, and I'm interested to see, like, if the Suns advance and the Clippers advance, if, if they ever meet up, what type of series that would be. Uh, is that would be really interesting. Right. Yeah. Kawhi has definitely showed us a killer mentality um, near the end of this series. Um, Lucas said it himself, man. He They killed him. He killed him. Um, and honestly, it's just really sad to see Luca drop these types of numbers and still end up losing, especially when, you know, momentum was, I felt like momentum was on their side in those first two games, going up 2-0 with the away games. Um, the Clippers, they, they pulled it together. And like you mentioned, Matt, Paul George finally showed up again. And um, honestly, I, I am a bit frustrated with Porzingis, the rumors that, about Porzingis' frustration about, you know, being in the background. Why, why do you think you're in the background? You're not performing the way um, – you're expected to and honestly why you're a seven foot three person um the clippers weren't playing zubach that much 
and he's still taking jump shots. Like, I, I just don't understand uh, what happened to a little paint play. And especially the Mavs committed to, like, playing a big lineup. They started Boban a couple of games, and still, Chris Tapps <laughs> still didn't use his height, and it's a, it's a little frustrating to see that. And this brings up another thing that uh, I brought up a couple episodes ago when you were last on. Is it time for the Mavericks to move on from Kristaps Porzingis? I said this twice now on the that. show. You I said this twice that, on right? the show now. Right. It, it, I don't think it's going to work. It's just Kristaps Porzingis was the guy in New York when he was there. Right. And now he moves on. He's still a young guy, but now mm-hmm. he's the second guy on the team. He's had injury problems. He hasn't really gotten it going in Dallas, especially in the playoffs. It might be time for him to find another fresh start and for Luca to get another number two because right now it doesn't seem like it's going to be working. Yeah, and I'll just to touch on the Porzingis trade in general, like looks like the Mavs, the best asset they got out of it was Tim Hardaway. Yep. And Tim Hardaway was has been great for them, was great for them in the playoffs. And then for the Knicks, I, I remember, Kenny, you were with me when we found yeah. out the trade. I, I was honestly devastated. Uh, yeah. Because I, I honestly had a lot of faith that this guy would be, you know, the guy. Yep. Um, and now I'm, I'm honestly pretty happy uh, <laughs> that we didn't spend all that money on him. Um, and we got, uh, you know, uh, Randall wasn't great in the playoffs, but he got us to the playoffs and right. season where we weren't expected to. We were expected to have around 18 wins this year, but it's not about the next uh, the segment. <laughs> Uh, but oh, breaking news here, Kenny. You'll be very happy. Nikola uh-huh. Jokic is NBA's yeah. MVP. Hey, let's get it. Very happy for him. I don't care what anybody says. Where's the MVP ever? No, come on. Like, watch this man play, man. He is a true artist. But oh, wow, that is great to hear. I have not gotten that notification yet. That's, right. that's big news. I, I that is awesome. Wow, <laughs> I don't like him. Okay. Now, I think Jokic definitely deserved this. If Steph Curry had started his run a little sooner, I think he would have ended up beating him out two weeks sooner. He started it. He would have beaten him out. Um, But, no, congrats to Jokic. He definitely deserves it. Now he just needs to win this series. That's it. But we've talked about the Clippers-Mavs. Let's get back to Clippers-Jazz. Game one is coming up. What do you guys expect from this? What do you expect to see? I, in my opinion, I think the Clippers are going to get it with five, six games. I think max six games, in my opinion. I'm, I'm going to take the Jazz. Really? Yeah. Wow. I like the Jazz. I, I've always been high on them, even before this, this season. I'm a big Donovan Mitchell guy. I think just in terms of chemistry, uh, the type of coaching they have, uh, and just, just generally, like, they had an awesome regular season. Yeah. Uh, and I think they can beat this Clippers team. I mean, the, the Clippers went down. Let's not forget, they went down uh, 2-0, 2-0 uh, to the Mavs. Not that it matters now, but, you know, they, they I feel like the Clippers are really just trying to figure it out as they go on. Uh, that's the type of uh, sense I'm getting. And obviously, they're successful in figuring it out, but – and facing a team like the Jazz, very, you know, they've, they've been playing together for a long time. Everybody on that team, Mike Conley's playing some of the best basketball of his career. You're having Rudy Gobert out there, uh, you know, controversial guy. But, you know, 
you know, he's one of the best defenders in the league. And I think generally, I, I think Donovan Mitchell can get this done. Ah. Wow. That's a, that's a lot of faith they're putting in the jazz. I I'm with Matt. I, um, I haven't thought about it too much in terms of true matchups. Um, but I, in order to beat the Nets, who are inevitably, in my opinion, going to come out of the East, I, I need I need superstar power out of the Clippers and for them to come out of the West. So I have the Clippers winning in six or seven. Um, definitely, like you said, Donovan's definitely going to be a key. Um, hopefully that injury, coming back from that injury won't slow him down too much. Clearly he's close to, um, close to prime form um, as he showed against the Grizzlies. But I don't know. They're going to definitely need a lot from their players like Conley and Clarkson and Bogdanovich. But uh, I don't know. Clippers and Paul George, man, and Kawhi, like, I, I'm, I'm putting all my faith in them. My uh, One of my friends from school is a big Donovan and Jazz fan as well, and I'm telling him we need to put – as NBA fans, we need to put our hope, hope and faith in the L.A. Clippers to stop Kevin Durant, Kyrie, and the Nets. That's just me. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's – no, that's a great point. I, I just like – I would love to just see a small market team make it there. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, like Cleveland was there – a lot because of someone named LeBron James, but it would be an awesome, awesome thing to see a team like the jazz make it there. Uh, Yeah. But let's, let's say, you know, you're right. And, and, and Clippers make it to the finals uh, to play Kevin Durant. Right. Uh, And let's say Kawhi wins. How, How many rings would he have then? Four, four. Thank you. Four rings. Wait, really? I thought it'd be oh three, three or wait, wouldn't it be three? I think it's three because one was San Antonio, one was Raptors, and this would be his third. Yeah, this would yeah. be that might like does that move him into a goat conversation? You know, wow. he has. I'm not saying he is. I'm just this is a question. He has multiple Defensive Player of the Years. He's been a perennial All Star, winning three championships with three separate teams. I and and he's already and especially if it's against the Nets, if he brings down a team like the Nets in the championship as well, like he has two finals MVPs on his resume. It's interesting to think about just in terms of an all around type player, right? Uh, you know, he doesn't add the MVP award, you know, but it would be pretty cool to see. And also, just really quick, we'll continue on this, but you were talking about you'd love to see a small market team get it to, to a point like that. One thing that's actually really interesting is the teams that have gotten there, the suit, the last team that has gotten there out of the teams that are left were the 76ers in 1983. All four teams that are left in the West have never been to the NBA finals. The Nets have never been to the NBA the finals. Jazz has been the the finals. Sixers, Good. not since 1983, the Hawks, not since 1958, and the Bucks since 1971. Wow. And this is won an NBA Finals, not gotten to an NBA Finals. Oh, oh okay. Never wow. Won. Uh, so it's – this is a lot of new guys. No Steph, no LeBron since 2010, first time. Uh, it, like, it's a new era right now that's going on. Obviously, things uh, could change if Clay comes back and the Warriors get back on track and, like, all this stuff. But uh, this is an exciting playoffs. Right, now It'd be def- it'd definitely be cool to see Kawhi take down another – um, power team though I, I know there's still those uh those Warriors fans out there and like realistic NBA fans saying like you know Katie was healthy like 
if the Warriors weren't injured, they they would have beaten the Raptors. And I could see that same excuse being used if uh, Harden continues to um, struggle with his hamstring. Um, but no, honestly, uh, Jack, I think when, when you say uh, goaded conversation, I'm thinking like top 10. And honestly, everybody in, in my top 10 has at least one MVP in their book. And I don't, with the way load management has become a thing with Kawhi, I, I just don't think Kawhi would ever um, be able to get that regular season MVP, but that, he'd definitely be close. It'd be interesting to, to you know, finally have a player who's won with three different franchises. That's absolutely absurd. Yeah, yeah along with the defensive player of the year awards. Right. right. Yeah, there's no question about it. Now, Kenny, before we let you go, give us your picks. Who are the four teams making it out of this round? All right. Let me. Uh, okay. Okay. I got. Mm, now nah, I'm debating whether I should be biased or not, but okay. Um, Brooklyn's definitely making it out against uh, Milwaukee. It's just a case of one. Um, I do think Philadelphia will turn it around. I'll be uh, Ben Simmons will still not really show up for them, but I think Philadelphia will make it out of that game, out, out of that round, um, out of that matchup. Clippers against the Jazz. I got Clippers against the Jazz, and oh, that's. I, I think I'm going to have to go Phoenix in seven games against Denver, even though I really do want Jokic to make it to the conference finals. But I think I do have the Suns. Well, thank you, Kenny, for coming on. You're always welcome here. And uh, it. see you soon. Yes, I will see you all soon. Thank you. All right. So thanks for Kenny for coming on. Now we're going to move back over to football and talk NFL. Big news coming out. This is some news that I actually kind of predicted on the Slaw Sports Show when I went on last Friday. Julio Jones has been traded to the Tennessee Titans along with the 2023 six-round pick for a 2022 second-round pick and a 2023 fourth-round pick. This is a huge acquisition for the Tennessee Titans, who when I went on the show with Cole, uh, we were doing record predictions. And for me, this was going to be the big move. If they got Julio, they would be contending in the AFC South. At that point when they didn't have him, I had the Colts winning division. Right now, I think that record could change now that they've added Julio. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, we talked about this last week. We talked about Tennessee being a landing spot, and it happened. And this is really going to help the Titans uh, you know, compete. Uh, and their offense in general, like I think this is really going to help Derrick Henry uh, along with uh, A.J. Brown, uh, just in terms of attracting more defenders. You have that guy out on the field. It's going to attract more attention, uh, like immediately. Yeah, there's no question about it. Julio Jones, 32. He is guaranteed $15.3 million this year. So the Titans making some room. A restructured Ryan Tannehill's contract to free up over $18 million this season by adding two voidable years to his contract. Now, the Tennessee Titans, they lost a lot of pieces. Uh, they lost their offensive coordinator, Arthur Smith. They lost uh, John U. Smith, their top tight end, and two wide receivers, Adam Humphreys and Corey Davis. So now adding Julio Jones to this mix, now they've got two top-tier wide receivers along with Derrick Henry. And I think this offense, even though they did lose a good amount of pieces, could end up being one of the best in the NFL still. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's, it's, it, it just obviously has propelled them into being one of the best offenses, especially filling those holes of Corey Davis and Humphreys. I thought that was uh, 
insane move by the Titans. And what did they give up again? They, uh, the Titans, they gave up a 2022 second round pick and a 2023 fourth round pick. And they also gained a 2023 sixth round pick, though. So, what do you think about this trade for them in general and what they gave up? Well, no, I think the Titans won this trade. Like, no question about it. Obviously, uh, the, they honestly didn't have to give up much. They've got a much better salary situation than the, um, Falcons do. So, it wasn't that big of a deal. And by restructuring Tannehill's contract, they really opened up a whole room for them. Uh, so they are no financial difficulty at all. Um, but no, the Titans are going big. They obviously, they signed Bud Dupree in the offseason to a massive deal over $80 million at the edge rusher position. Now they're paying a lot of money to Julio Jones, who, just so you remember, only played nine games last year. So Julio has had some injury troubles the past couple of years, and he is at the age of 32. But in those nine games, he still had 771 yards and three touchdowns. And we'll get into this a little bit later on, um, but Julio can still be a deadly weapon. And this could also take pressure off of A.J. Brown, who was their number one wide receiver last year, and they can feed off of each other. And when you've got a running back like Derrick Henry, that opens up the passing game so much, uh, it could be a deadly season for this offense. Yeah, agreed. I think this will be huge for A.J. Brown's development, just learning from Julio Jones uh, in general. Uh, and then also, like you said, like this is going to open up the field for AJ Brown. I think they're going to defenses will have to make a decision between the two, and uh, one of them will benefit. Yeah, and there's no question about it. And speaking of AJ Brown, he was big on the recruiting front for Julio Jones, putting out videos, offering to give up number 11. But in the end, he will be sticking with number 11, and Julio will be changing his number. AJ Brown saying he tried to give him the number, but Julio would not take it. So Titans fans, you're still going to have number 11 on the field in AJ Brown, and you are getting a very good uh, second wide receiver here. So let's move on to our little game that we have going on for our segment. We're going to be talking about the top five wide receiver duos in the league. This is going obviously off of the Julio Jones trade that we just seen. Uh, so Jack and I each made a list uh, and we're going to go through it. We'll start off with some honorable mentions. Uh, We each have a couple, uh, but, and then we'll go into our top five. So Jack, for me, my honorable mentions are Jarvis Landry and Odo Beckham Jr. for the Browns. Agreed. Stephon Diggs and uh, Beasley, Cole Beasley, and Will Fuller and Devontae Parker. And finally, Amari Cooper and either CeeDee Lamb or Michael Gallup. I've seen in... uh, on social media, both of those guys as the second wide receiver in Dallas, I don't really think it matters which one is the number two. Both of them are great. And the same thing with Will Fuller and Devontae Parker. It could be Devontae Parker. It could be Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle being a rookie, I didn't want to put him in there yet, but he could end up being uh, that number two option at some point in Miami. Yeah, I, I have honorable mentions with as Jarvis and Odell and then Amari Cooper and uh, C.D. Lamb. Um, and then the, the other two, I just were really good options uh, as honorable mentions, but I just did not mention them. <laughs> All right. So let's start with number five. Uh, for me, I chose the L.A. Rams duo of uh, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. Uh, Robert Woods last season had 936 receiving yards and six touchdowns. Cup had 974 and three. So they combined for 1,910 yards and nine touchdowns. Now, for me, I've got them at number five right now. 
for a number of reasons. One, they added Matt Stafford. Matthew Stafford is a much higher tier quarterback than Jared Goff was. Obviously, they kind of built their offense around Jared Goff uh, just to make him feel more comfortable and also to fit into his scheme. Now, with Matthew Stafford, they can really work with Sean McVay's offense and really open up the field for these wide receivers. Much better deep ball from Matt Stafford. Um, and this could be a big year for them. On top of Cam Akers being their running back, if he has a breakout year, having a good running game will take the pressure off of the passing game and really open these two guys up for a big season. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I also agree with you. I remember five of Cup uh, and Woods. I think those two are really dynamic off the ball. I think your points made about Stafford are uh, really good, uh, especially we've talked about how good Stafford is and how underappreciated he is. I'm really excited for, you know, he's going to be playing for a larger market. Uh, the spotlight's really going to be on him. And he's really going to have more weapons, uh, you know, in L.A. Uh, and I, I think that's going to help out a lot. All right. And now for the next two, four and three, you and I have this flipped. Uh, for me, for number four, I've got Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. You have DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. Me at three, I've got DK and Lockett, and you have Thielen and Jefferson. Right now, I've got Thielen and Jefferson, number four, and I struggle with this decision yeah. a lot because these guys could be number four. They could be number one. We don't really know. Uh, a lot of this has to do with Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins, we're not really sure how he's going to play. I'm expecting a better year than last year from him. I'm just not sure how much better and Justin Jefferson having 1400 yards and seven touchdowns his rookie year. That's going to be very hard to beat. Uh, I could see him adding some touchdowns to his total. I don't see him getting to 14, 1500 yards. Um, Thielen I'm expecting around the same amount around a thousand yards around 10 to 14 touchdowns in that range. So I could definitely, they had a total of 2,325 yards and 21 touchdowns. I could see, in my opinion, I think the total yards and touchdowns are going to stay around the same. Uh, touchdowns could be a little higher depending on Jefferson. Um, but I'm expecting another big year from JJ. Um, and we're going to have the same production from Thielen as usual. Yeah, I mean, I a lot of those points I'll, I'll, I'll uh, raise when I, I go over my third. But for four, I have DK and Lockett. Uh, I think, obviously, tremendous players, but... I've never been too high on, on Lockett. I think a lot of his success probably uh, was because of how dominant DK was. Um, but that being said, I, I think since DK is an emerging star, defenses are going to know how to defend him a little better. But, you know, obviously I, I agree. I think three and four with the Thielen and, and versus DK uh, combos, uh, you know, it's really a toss up. And I think, that, that was difficult for me, but uh, I, I put JJ and Thielen at, at three because I think Thielen is always going to be a consistent guy, catching the ball, touchdowns all the time. And, and JJ is a guy that I think will continue to be good, but I think I'm with you. I think Cousins is really – so he, he is volatile play, uh, and, you know, his play will really be dependent on where they are in this ranking. Yeah. And I have DK and Lockett at number three, because in my opinion, the top three, he, honestly, the top four, really, I, I think Woods is Woods and Cup, they are not both number one receivers, but I think the top four, they have the potential to have two number one receivers in their lineup every day. 
Tyler Lockett is one of the most underrated receivers in the NFL. Uh, he doesn't have the same size as a guy like DK Metcalf, but he put up just as uh, well of a season as him. And if you think about it, I just remember um, watching the Cardinals game when they were playing the Cardinals and their defense, they couldn't figure out who they wanted to put Patrick Peterson on because no matter what, both of them were beating him. They both beat Patrick Peterson for a touchdown that game on deep balls as well. Tyler Lockett on one of the first plays of the game uh, killed him on a deep ball, making a one-handed grab down the sideline. That was crazy. But they combined for 2,357 yards and 20 touchdowns. Uh, I'm expecting around um, the same numbers for them both. I do expect DK's yardage numbers to go down a little bit uh, just as uh, people figure out how to uh, defend him. Uh, but the touchdowns, they both had 10 apiece, and I think they should stay around the same. Now, for my number two option, I've got uh, uh, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin of the defending Super Bowl champs, champs, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, these guys, in my opinion, I think they're going to have an even better year this year than they did last year. Tom Brady got off to a slow start, obviously. You know, learning the offense, getting used to his players, but he was MVP by the end of the season. Like, he had MVP numbers, no question. And this season, I'm expecting him to be MVP from the beginning. Uh, they combined for 1,846 yards and 20 touchdowns. I'm expecting the touchdown totals to be around the same, maybe a little bit higher. But the yardage markers, I'm expecting that to go up above the 2,000, uh, uh, 2000 mark. Uh, but it should be an exciting se season for that duo. And not going to lie, I might be expecting a repeat of the Super Bowl run. I hate to say that. But it, they brought back their entire team. It's going to be tough. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think that's great for football. I, I feel like we don't really see that that often. I feel like after, you know, just in terms of repeats, I feel like it's pretty rare. Mm -hmm. uh, but generally, just getting back to the list, I, I'm with you. Uh, I have Evans and Godwin uh, at my number two spot for many of the same reasons you do. I, I you know, it, it also, like a lot of these, as we've said, as a constant trend is how good these quarterbacks are going to be. And if we know one thing about Brady is we're waiting on him to fall off and he just, quite frankly, <laughs> he hasn't been falling off at all. So I think, you know, given the trend of the end of last season, like you said, these guys are, are in for a big season. Uh, and, and I'm actually excited to see how, how they, this turns out. Yeah, no question. And I had a lot of trouble putting them at number two. But for me, it's got to be the new duo of Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. They are both just so good and I feel like if Julio Jones now this is all dependent on if Julio Jones stays healthy because if Julio puts up another season where he only plays eight or nine games this completely yeah. changes but based on his stats from last year I mentioned earlier when we were talking about the trade he had 771 yards and three touchdowns in nine games and AJ Brown had 1075 and 11 touchdowns in only 14 games so both of these guys did not um did not put up the numbers that they would in a full season, but based on what they have, they could be good. And what I'm expecting more touchdowns, obviously there, that's going to happen. They had 14 combined touchdowns in the season, but if Julio plays a full season, I'm expecting around 10 touchdowns. I'm expecting AJ Brown to actually have more than that. I'm, I'm going to put a number at around 12. Wow. Uh, I think he's going to yeah. have a big season because they're really their only two targets in the passing game. Now that Johnny Smith is gone. Uh, so I'm expecting a big season from both of them and Ryan Tannehill is going to lead the way. Yeah, it's going to be crazy to watch them play, especially Julio, as you said, just stays healthy. Uh, and A.J. Brown is just a fun player to watch. Yep. Um, 
And I love just what they've created in, in, in Tennessee, that, that type of culture they have there, uh, creating Tannehill into a guy that's really a reliable player. Uh, you know, watching him in Miami and then maturing into this quarterback that's reliable. Uh, and, and, you know, that was really amazing for me to, to see in Tennessee when they had Tannehill and they, they, they ditched Mariota and they put in Tannehill and now he's their guy. And, yeah, so, obviously, that's those are our lists. Uh, Jack, obviously, had Andrew Brown and Julio at number one as well. There were obviously a couple people that we left off this list, even not in the honorable mentions, DeAndre Hopkins and A.J. Green, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams in L.A. In, in my opinion, especially for the Cardinals one, I, I don't know if A.J. Green is a true number two receiver anymore. We haven't seen it in a long time in Cincinnati. He's obviously had some injury problems. This is going to be a big season for him. If he can put up numbers again, then he could be on this list next season. We don't know. But for me, it just he hasn't put up enough uh, numbers in the past couple of years to be able to be considered even remotely close to this. Obviously, D-Hop is one of the best in the game. And it's kind of sad because there are a lot of wide receivers that we haven't mentioned. I, sure. DeAndre Hopkins, Keenan Allen, Devontae Adams, who's arguably the best wide receiver right. in the game, is not on this list. Um, Diggs, Diggs, Diggs. I have him in my honorable mentions, but – you know, it's it's tough. Um, there are going to be guys that put up great seasons that won't be on this list, so we just wanted to mention them uh, before we do it. But it should be an exciting NFL season and a lot of good wide receivers out there. Yeah, it's, it's going to be real exciting. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Kenny, again for joining uh, today. We're always welcome to have you on. Uh, but make sure to follow us on socials. Look at our website. It's now up with all of our episodes. YouTube videos should be coming soon and some more content. Thanks for listening, guys.